Chapter 27, verse 1 of Genesis. Now it came to pass when Isaac was old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see, that he called Esau his older son and said to him, My son. And he answered him, Here I am. Then he said, Behold, now I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and make me savory food such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau, his son. And Esau went to the field to hunt game and to bring it. So Rebekah spoke to Jacob, her son, saying, Indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me game and make savory food for me, that I may eat it, and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. Go now to the flock and bring me from there two choice kids of goats, and I will make savory food from them for your father such as he loves. Then you shall take it to your father that he may eat it, that he may bless you before his death. And Jacob said to Rebekah's mother, Look, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I'm a smooth-skinned man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be a deceiver to him, and I shall bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. But his mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go get them for me. And he went out and got them and brought them to his mother, and his mother made savory food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the choice cloths of her elder son Esau, which were with her in the house, put them on Jacob, her younger son. She put the skins of the kids of the goat on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. Then she gave the savory food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went into his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I've done just as you told me. Please arise, sit and eat my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he said, Because the Lord your God brought it to me. Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father. He felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. Then he said, Are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. And he said, bring it near to me, and I'll eat of my son's game, so that my soul may bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate. And he brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near now, and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him. And he smelled the smell of his clothing. And, and he blessed him and said, surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field, which the Lord has blessed. Therefore, may God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and have plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be those who bless you. And so this is the story of Jacob deceiving his father along with his mother to get the blessings. There's plenty of background here to think about and consider in this story. First of all, practically, how valid is the blessing? Was there something spiritual or supernatural or divine behind this blessing? Or is it just culture? Is it just Middle Eastern superstition? I mean, obviously we know in the New Testament and through faith in Jesus Christ that there's no such things as curses, if you will. For Jesus Christ hung on the tree. Cursed is he who hangs on a tree and hung on the tree and paid the price for our sins. 
So forget that concept right away. I remember being at Big Calvary and having someone come up to me and say, I'm under the curses. I'm like, you're not under any curses if you're in Jesus. That's ridiculous. It's nonsense. That's a lie of the devil. And don't take that for a minute. Jesus Christ didn't die on the cross and save you for the hope of heaven so you can walk around feeling like you're under some generational curse. So let's make that straight right now. That's nonsense. And it's certainly unbiblical. And it's demonic. Now, we are affected by other people's decisions. But the idea of a supernatural or superstitious curse being on a believer is ridiculous in the fact that Jesus Christ breaks every chain and whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Make that clear. Now, coming back to the context here, obviously what was very unique in the lives of these patriarchs is Abraham is their father. And Abraham was set apart by God himself with all those blessings and promises of the Abrahamic covenant that through him nations would come and kings would come, including Jesus Christ, King of the Jews and the King of Kings. So through Abraham and his offspring was the promise that, of course, a nation would emerge and that a nation we know would be entrusted with the scriptures and through the genetic ethnic line of that nation and the Virgin Mary, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, would come through the nation of Israel. And we know that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is to the Jew first because they had the promise and the covenant and the word, the scripture, but then to all nations, which was even promised in the Old Testament during the time of God's Mosaic covenant with Israel. When he had the covenant with Israel saying, you're a special people, a chosen people, at the same time, he promised that all nations would be blessed through his Messiah coming. That's the background. Now, Isaac is the son of promise. Remember, Abraham had Ishmael, who was a son of the flesh, with Hagar, the maidservant. And when he pleaded for Ishmael, God said, I've got a plan for Ishmael, and I'm going to bless Ishmael. He's going to, he's going to be awesome. But my promise is yet to come for Sarah, at 90, it passed all practical signs. We'll have a child, a miraculous child, and his name will be Isaac, meaning laughter. Thus, Isaac, here, this Isaac now very old near the end of his life, but not near as the end as he think he is in the text, is that son of promise. And he has two sons. Now, before these sons were born, a couple chapters ago, God said to Rebecca when she cried out, why is it all well if my, I'm in turmoil? And, and the Lord says, you have twins, and the older will serve the younger. God spoke the future because he speaks the future before it comes. And he literally says, put me to the test. I'll show you I'm God because I tell you things from outside of time of what will happen in time before it happens in time. And in this case, that includes Jacob and Esau. It is Jacob whose name will be changed to Israel from heel grabber, which means heel grabber because he literally grabbed his brother's heel coming out of the womb as twins, to prince of God, which means he's ruled by God and, in a sense, rules for God. God will change his name from Jacob to Israel very shortly in the book of Genesis. And from there, all of his sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. So clearly, God's plan, his prophetic plan for the nation of Israel and the Messiah to come through the tribe of Judah was all predetermined to be in and through Jacob, not Esau. Eventually, the Edomites are the descendants of Esau. We'll get a whole chapter in Genesis later on 
of Esau's descendants. He had many descendants. God blessed Esau. Now, the Edomites were perpetual, perpetually at war with Israel in later centuries during the time of the Mosaic Covenant. But Esau was born of, from Isaac and Rebekah, Isaac being the son of promise, but the promise does not go through Esau. It goes through Jacob. And that's God's prerogative and trying to figure that stuff out. You won't. Let God be true and every man a liar. But it's important to understand this. So here's Jacob, the one who has the blessings already. But he wants the blessings. His mom wants to get him the blessings. And his mom knows that he's set up to get the blessings because God told her that the older will serve the younger before they're even born. So she's going this route, and Isaac's going this route because he would seem to favor Esau over Jacob. It's like a, as they say in Spanish, telenovela. It's like a soap opera right here. This is a messy chapter. I'm sure you figured that out as we're reading it. It's like, oh, this is, this is drama. This is drama right here. This is, this is telenovela. This is drama. And this can only bring about more drama which it does bring about more drama. Now, an X factor in this entire story is the interpretation of the story from Hebrews 11, which we keep referring to as we're going through Genesis. Because in Hebrews 11 in the New Testament, the Hall of Fame or the Hall of Faith, which is one and the same, Jacob is in there. Isaac is in there. Isaac is in there. And what an amazing chapter of Isaac last week. I mean, what an amazing chapter. Digging up the wells, just going for it, trusting the Lord, finding the well of spaciousness. But he's not in there for that. He's in there for blessing Jacob with the blessings. Now, Jacob got the birthright in his youth that his brother so easily gave up. That would have had value in the culture. But here, his father blesses him. Isaac is in Hebrews 11 for pronouncing the blessings on Jacob. That's very interesting because in this part of the story, he's deceived. He thinks he's blessing Esau. He thinks he's blessing Esau. But he's in Hebrews 11 for his faith because he pronounced the blessings on Jacob. Interesting. Well, we should come back to this. But if it's for this here, it's kind of like that verse, God catches the wise in their own craftiness. Because one interpretation that could be that though Jacob wanted to bless Esau, he, excuse me, though Isaac really wanted to bless Esau, deep in his heart, he knew that the blessings and the promises were going to be through Jacob. So in spite of what was going on, he actually had faith in the bigger picture of God's plan that he had received from his father Abraham and that he had lived and that now he's imparting to the next generation through his son Jacob. That's possible. There's another possibility. comes up later on when his dad blesses him again when he goes to Padamaram, which we'll get to later on tonight. But it's just all of this stuff. But before we move on from this, let's think about this. Give Jacob credit because he wanted the blessings. He wanted the blessings And before we're done tonight, we're going to see how God meets him and just pronounces the blessings on him. Which just shows us there's always a bigger picture and grace is usually deeper and farther than most of us think in our own life and other people's lives. 
Let me say that again. God's grace goes deeper and farther than most of us understand and appreciate in our own life. And so often we're short to show grace to other people because we misunderstand and limit how far grace has worked in our life. So it's really important that we understand how deep and far God's grace has been extended to us in our journey of life so that we can be not only recipients of that grace, but vessels and conduits of that grace. And this story is a classic example because where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And you could say, Jacob's deceiving his dad. He even brings the Lord in. Oh, the Lord brought it to me. I mean, come on. Didn't you just cringe when you read that? I mean, it's one thing when you're conniving and you're striving and you're a little deceitful person, but to bring the Lord in it, man, that takes some courage or whatever you might want to call it. Oh, yeah, the voice is Jacob's, but the, no, it's, 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 uh, uh, but it's uh, the hands are easy. How, how did you get it so fast? Oh, the Lord, your God brought it to me. Like, wow. Like, that's a lightning moment, right? Some of us be like, right now, strike him down with lightning. Some of us are harsh. We don't want to be those people like, hey, that's, where you, that's the end of the road for you, Jacob. That God sees. It is interesting that God does not reprove Jacob for this event in the text. Not only that, when he gets his payback from Laban, his future father-in-law, and Laban's coming after him, God warns Laban, don't you touch Jacob or I'll crack you. God had Jacob's back from the time he, met, he got the birthright for a bowl of beans from his brother to the time here he came in to deceive his dad to get the blessings. God had Jacob's back. The grace went deep and wide and far for Jacob. And that's a lesson we want to understand for our lives that God's bigger than all the drama and the telenovela and the soap opera. Again, Pastor Chuck Smith, the founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement, wrote a whole book on why grace changes things. And one of the hallmark cornerstones of the Calvary Chapel Movement from the Jesus days to this day is that if we're going to make mistakes, let's make them in grace in how we deal with people. Because, quoting Pastor Chuck, if I err in grace, God can still work because he is gracious. But if I err in the law, then I'm limiting God and I become judge and jury of the people, the events, and the circumstances. Let God be the judge. Like Paul wrote to the Romans, who are you to judge another servant? God knows how to work in Jacob's life. He's going to get deceived. Just, hey, how's that first night with Leah after working for seven years? Hey, there's nothing. We did sowing and reaping last Saturday. And then nobody gets away with anything. What you sow, you'll reap. And God's going to refine Jacob with 20 years of Laban as a father-in-law. God knows how to bring it about. But you got to appreciate, we need to appreciate that Jacob really wanted the blessings and there's something to be said for that. Not so much the means of trying to get him, but the actual desire for him. And I think God, and I believe God, puts a high premium on women and men, young and old alike, who wake up and really want to get the blessings. As opposed to people who are indifferent and carnal and don't care about the birthrights for a bowl of beans. God knows the heart. Just because someone is the firstborn doesn't mean they're the most 
the best equipped to do a task. And the Bible is filled with many, many examples of people who are not the firstborn in a family who saved the family, Joseph, David, and others, just to name a couple. Now, Esau is going to come in the picture. Let's read about Esau. Now, it happened, verse 30. Verse 30. Now, it happened as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau's brother came in from his hunting. He also made savory food and brought it to his father and said to his father, that my father arise and eat of his son's game, that your soul may bless me. And his father, Isaac, said to him, who are you? So he said, I'm your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, who? Where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came. I I blessed him indeed. He shall be blessed. Then Esau heard the words of his father, and he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and now look, he's taken away my blessing. And he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? And then Isaac answered and said to Esau, Indeed, I've made him your master, and all of his brethren I've given to him as servants. With grain and wine I've sustained him. What shall I do now for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, Have you only one blessing, my father? Bless me, me also, my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then as Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, Your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth and of the dew of the heaven from above. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother, and it shall come to pass when you become restless that you shall break his yoke from your neck. I'm going to stop there. That doesn't sound like too great of a blessing, does it? But that's his blessing. That's That's the leftovers. When we think about Isaac here, and maybe you're like me when you read this, you go like, how could he not know his children? Let's think about this for a minute. Let's come back to Isaac before we move on to Esau. How could he not know? Like, when I've read this story in the past, I've been reading this story for 33 years. And when I've read this story in the past, I'm like, how? Like, how do you not know? Like, even if you're blind, like my cousins, Kurt and Kate, were blind. They, could, they knew more that was going on in the house than anyone else in the house. I told you we'd play hide-and-seek in that three-story building in Coventry Lane in Cleveland, and we'd play hide-and-seek from Kurt, and he'd walk in the room, and he's like, I hear your heartbeat. I'm like, oh, no, and then he'd be like, I'm coming to get you. I'm coming to get you. Just terrify me. Kurt was more aware with all of his other senses than the people in the room, and he would listen to conversation, just chirp in. He'd hear something, and his alertness was incredible. So you say, how, how could Isaac not know that it truly is Jacob and not Esau. Well, now that I'm farther down the road and take care of elderly parents, I can see very easily how that would happen. I want to suggest to you it's possible in Isaac's old age here that he has some memory challenges, some situational cognitive challenges. Perhaps he's even got early onset dementia. When you, in our current timeline and how people live, Most people, as they move into their 80s, even if they're sharp, get fuzzy. Most people in their 50s, you have to work hard to remember certain things. So you have to write stuff down or you forget it. At least I do. I'm going to the bank the other day. I'm like, three things in the bank. Deposit, deposit, and ask for the ledger for the checks. I walk in there, I forget exactly what I'm doing. I do the two deposits, and then two hours, I was like, I had written it down on my things for the due on the day. I'm like, I forgot to get the check ledgers. 
That's how it works, younger people, preview of coming attractions. Even when you write it down, you might forget it, like I did yesterday. When my father-in-law talks to Jennifer, he loves Jennifer, but he might talk to her on the phone and call her Mary Ann. He might have the same conversation on redial and a repeat. And those who take care of elder, you understand how that works. Some days when I visit my dad, he's pretty sharp, and some days he's pretty fuzzy. My mom will say, how's dad today? Was he sharp or fuzzy? I'm like, kind of fuzzy, like kind of average. And you understand that. So let's just say contextually for you younger people, don't take care of your older parents yet that are in their 80s perhaps. I can tell you this story suddenly is much easier to grasp contextually as I take care of my 89-year-old dad and my 84-year-old mother. I can see how this would happen very easily. So with that context, Esau comes in and he's like, oh no, Jacob did it again. But the interesting thing about Esau in this story is that Hebrews again gives us interpretation about what's going on here, but only it's not Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is the happy chapter. Hebrews 12 is the serious chapter. And in Hebrews 12, we read this about Esau. Listen carefully so we can get interpretation from the Holy Spirit on what happened here with Esau. The context is to be built up on our faith, to pursue those things that are godly, pursue peace with all people, looking carefully lest you fall short of the grace of God, Hebrews 12, verse 15. Lest any root of bitterness spring up, causing trouble by this many become defiled, Hebrews 12, 16. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Hebrews 12 tells us that Esau's downfall actually was in his teen years when he sold his birthright for a bowl of beans. It was the decision he made in his youth. And think what Solomon said. Seek the Lord in your youth before the days grow old and evil and you take no pleasure in them. It was that key moment, probably at the age of 18, where Esau raised in the house with Isaac as his dad, the son of promise, Abraham, the father of faith for the entire human race, as his grandfather, taught to value spiritual things, to value the promises, all these things, all those promises laid out before him. And as a college-age man, he says, they don't mean anything to me. I'll take a bowl of beans over those promises. And how grievous it is when we see people raised in a godly home who will trade the kingdom of God for a bowl of beans. And Esau traded his birthright for a bowl of beans. And decades later, when all he can say is dead, bless me, I'm the firstborn. That's how carnal people think. They think carnally. They think as man thinks. Well, surely this is the next king. He's big and strong. And God says, he's not the king. To Jesse, when Samuel went to the house of David to anoint the next king. Oh, surely he's the one. He looks like a king. And God says, man looks at the outward, but God looks at the heart. 
And there's Esau. This is what carnal people do. I went to this church. I did this and I did that. And I'm religious and this and that and everything else and all this stuff. Bless me, Dad. Bless me. I'm the firstborn. No, you never learned that God is king and his promises have never taken on meaning to you and value to you. So now you weep because we saw in the text, he wept. And though you weep diligently, there is no place for repentance or in this case, literally restoration of those things. Which brings us to that truth that the more good decisions we make, the more we set ourselves up for the blessings and the less likely we'll make horrendous decisions that will bring great grief and sorrow and consequences upon our life. We want to value what God values. We want to esteem highly what God esteems highly. We want to value holiness. The world mocks holiness. Don't listen to the world. Holiness means to be set apart. Oh, woe to you who call night day and day night. Woe to you, God said to the prophet Isaiah, who call good bad and bad good. And we see that. And now how much external pressure comes against us as far as of Jesus Christ to capitulate the value of virtue, integrity, character, godliness, praiseworthy, honorable, these things that make up the character of God in every generation and in his church. We, can, we cannot surrender these things. We want to value beautiful things that are beautiful to the Lord. And we need to abhor, as the Bible says, what God abhors. And God has never changed, and he's never going to change. And it's his universe. Esau lost the blessing a long time before his brother went in and deceived his dad. Esau lost the blessing his entire lifetime, year after year, decade after decade, when he did not care about those promises that his grandfather believed in and that his dad was a living testimony of. When he went out and married two Philistine women, his whole life is a record of not valuing holy things. Let our life be a record of valuing holy things. And let us be an example to others that they should value them too. Because the more you get to the back end of life, everything temporal is leaving and everything eternal is coming. And eternity is definitely holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. Holy, holy, holy is what they say over and over and over in Revelation in the throne room. That's the way it is. Esau sought a blessing. And it wasn't the culture. There's no birthrights except being born again and birthed the second time through faith in Jesus Christ and adopted in the family, Romans 8. Esau never got the things of the Spirit. We want to make sure that we do and that we value them. We read on in verse 41. So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father at hand, then I will kill my brother Jacob. And the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to my brother Laban in Haran. 
And stay with him a few days until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you've done to him. And I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereaved also of you both in one day? And Rebekah said to Isaac, Oh, I'm weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife of the daughters of Heth like those who are the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? So mom recognizes the reality here. And again, Esau is just being Esau. From the abundance of a heart does a man speak. And he spoke murderous thoughts against his brother, and it came to Rebekah. He couldn't even conceal his plot to kill his brother. It's out there. I'm going to kill him. And so Rebekah gets word and says, Jacob, you got to go. I'll call for you when it's time, which it didn't quite play out that way, did it? If you know the story, it did not play out that way at all. She's doing the best she can. And she goes to her husband, who she committed to without ever seeing. Remember Eliezer and that story? And now they're older. You know, marriages go through different seasons. And she says, hey, it's about the daughter-in-laws now. And that's when you know you're getting older, by the way. The daughter-in-laws, the sons-in-laws, who you're yoking to. And she says, honey, I'm just going to be so bereaved if Jacob takes one of these women for his wife, just like Esau took his wives from these women, please. And Isaac, you're right. You know, you're right. But look what Rebecca said in verse 46. I'm weary of my life because of my daughter-in-laws. And she said, if Jacob does the same thing, what good will my life be to me? The things that drive your life and drive your passions and, and get in your wheelhouse, they change from your perspective of where you're at in the journey. When you're a teenager, when you're in your 20s, your 30s, your 40s. Talking with Bobby Brown today, he's turning 40 next year. I remember Bobby Brown as a 16-year-old worship leader. He's turning 40. I said, well, I'm knocking on 60, and Hannah turns 30 in April. He's like, Hannah Brand's 30 in April, and Bobby Brown is 40 in March. That's the way it works. And your perspective of things change in the different seasons. Sure, you got all the promises. The nation's going to come from you. The king of kings is coming from you. But right now, if Jacob marries another woman like those women Esau married, my life is bereaved to me, and it'll be the grief of me. Please know. God, please know. Isaac, do something about it. We read on chapter 28. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him, verse 1, and charged him and said to him, You shall not take away from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Padamaram, to the house of Bethel, your mother's father, and take yourself away from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessings of Abraham to you and your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. So Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padamaram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padamaram to take himself away from there, and that he blessed him. And he gave him a charge saying, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Padamaram. Also Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan did not please his father Isaac. So Esau went to Ishmael and took Mahalith, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebajoth, to be his wife in addition to the wives he had. <laughs> he can't make this stuff up. The Bible is just the record of the human experience. Esau, just a day late, a dollar short, and a click off. You know, just 
okay, uh, all right, they don't like my wife, so I'm going to go. Well, Uncle Ishmael has got some kids. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go get a wife. Uncle Ishmael's very successful. He reigns over lots of people. Uncle Ishmael's got some princesses in his house. I'll go get a princess from Uncle Ishmael. And mom and dad, pops, will be stoked because I really care more what pops thinks than mom because he doesn't say my mom's upset, my dad's upset. Football dad, football son, varsity jacket. Like, I got to get back on dad's good side. He says, look, got me a woman from Uncle Ishmael. It's embarrassing. You want to laugh, but it's, embar- it's not funny, but it's embarrassing. So he's multiplying wives. We've talked about this before. That never works. It's just, it's never designed that way. You can't serve two masters. You love one and hate the other. It never works. It didn't work with his two Canaanite wives, and it's not going to get any better with an Ishmaelite wife. This is the end of Esau for now. He's just like, what? I tried. What am I supposed to do? It comes back to that bowl of beans when you're a teenager. Make good decisions in your youth. Make good decisions on the journey. Because this is what you look like when you don't make good decisions, when you get farther down the road. And your youth might be 50, 60, or 70. So make good decisions. You know, my mom quit smoking in 1993 when she visited us in Vermont. She has breathing problems now, 25 years later. But she breathes better than if she hadn't quit smoking. She smoked for 40 years, but she did quit smoking in 93. Leah, when she was three, saw Nanny with a cigarette and was completely stunned. And my mom was so embarrassed, she quit smoking. My mom takes so many meds every day that all like they do with the multiple med things do, this for that, that for this, that for that. And most of it is because she has a hard time breathing because those things that she killed smoking, they don't come back. You understand that, right? You know, I figured they're called, but they don't come back. You only get so many of them, and if you wreck them smoking, vaping, they don't come back. But my mom is still alive, and she still has things to live for. And she'll testify that making good decisions in 1993 to quit smoking in 93 was better than never quit smoking at all. Because she's been around to see Barbie come through rehab, weddings, and now Jimmy's going to graduate the police academy next month. And she always has something more to live for. It's always the right time to make good decisions. And set the pattern of good decisions. Esau is a pattern of bad decisions, and they never seem to look good. Now, back to Jacob. He's, he's going out. We talked about in Hebrews 11 that Isaac is in there for blessing Jacob, pronouncing the blessings on Jacob. So now the question arises, would that be the blessings that he pronounced in the previous chapter when he thought it was Esau, or is it possibly these blessings right here? Because this sounds a lot more like the blessings that come from Abraham. So let's look at verse 3 again. May God Almighty bless you. This is very different, right? Consider the blessing he said back in uh, 20, chapter 27, verse 27. Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Therefore, may God give you of the dew of heaven of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down before you. Be master over your brethren and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be those who bless you. Compared to this one, he came to his senses. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you. 
that he may that you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessings of Abraham to you and descendants with you, that you will inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. See, that sounds more like that sounds more like the Abrahamic blessing. Either way, the combo package, both these blessings put together, or one or the other, it's for either one of these statements by which Isaac is in Hebrews 11 for his faith. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob in things to come. So now we get back to Jacob. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba, verse 10, and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set and he took one of the stones of that place and put it in his head and he laid down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth and its top reached the heaven and there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west, the east, the north, and the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And then Jacob rose early in the morning and took a stone that he put at his head, set it up as a pillar, poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of that city had been Luz previously. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God be with me and keep me in the way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. So here we have God just revealing himself to Jacob. So Isaac pronounced the blessings before he left. And now Jacob is on his own, headed toward the northern part of Syria, near Turkey, to Padamaram. And it's a journey to the unknown. His brother wants to kill him. He's going to Uncle Laban's, and it's a journey to the unknown. There's nothing in his life right now, apart from wanting the birthright and wanting the blessings, there's nothing in his life that say he's a spiritual man. I mean, Elijah's dad's like, hey, the Lord brought me the game. Remember when he's pretending to be Esau? There's nothing in his life. Stay with me here. There's nothing in his life that would make you say, wow, what an example of a godly man. What, what an incredible man of God. There's nothing th- thus far that we've seen, that, apart that he waited on the Lord for a wife, which certainly you could put forth. But there's nothing to say like, wow, how he handled that with his mom, his dad, his brother. Wow, you know, he set his mom straight. He didn't deceive his dad. He respected his brother. And he just said, no, it's telenovela. But does that change any of the grace, any of the promises, any of the blessings that God has for him upon his life? No. By grace you've been saved, that through faith not of works as anyone should boast. This has the sovereignty of God all over it. He's just running for his life and he's just Jacob. He's heel grabber. And he lays down and God comes to him. And isn't it wonderful to know that God meets us where we're at? Isn't it great to know 
that God will meet us where we're at. He'll meet us in a dream. He'll meet us through a situation or circumstances. Of course, he meets us in his word and sometimes affirms that through other things. But I just think it's so beautiful that this is amazing grace. Because you look at Jacob's life and God shows up to him in the dream. Now, Jesus refers to this in the Gospel of John. Jesus makes reference to this story. God said to him, look at the affirmation of these promises. They belong to Jacob all along. In verse 13, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. So let's make straight in this dream. See, He's in different dimensions. He's transcending dimensions right now, and dreams do that sometimes. We see that in the Bible. He's in time, space, and matter, but eternity is coming to him in this dimension. He's occupying the two dimensions at the same time. And God says, hey, I'm revealing myself to you right now. See, it's it's personal. It's the first time we see it personal between God and Jacob. We've seen it personal with God and Isaac, God speaking to Isaac. We've seen God speaking to Abraham. We've seen God speaking to Sarah. And now God speaks to Jacob. We talk about this. Jacob is going to find his faith. He's going to learn his lessons. And he's going to get traction for his faith that's going to carry him in a lifetime. And he's going to have a long, hard journey. He's going to say to Pharaoh, many decades from now, few and evil have been my days. But then in that last chapter of his life, unlike so many others, he, in the last 17 years, he finds the grace and understands the grace more. And he pronounces how blessed he is at the end of his journey. But God said, the land that you're on right now, I'm going to give to you. See, we never earn the blessings. I mean, we can set ourselves up for the blessings with good decisions, but they're not earned. We don't earn our salvation. We receive it. This land is to you and your descendants. Also, your descendants will be as the dust of the earth. Isn't that what God said to Abraham? You shall spread out to the west, east, and north, and south. Isn't that what God said to Abraham, his grandfather? We don't have record of God necessarily saying that exactly the same way to Isaac. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So that messianic promise is that affirmed to Jacob. That promise of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, in your seed, because the seed is the offspring, and Galatians tells us it's capital S seed, and it's Jesus Christ. Right here in this dream, at this moment in his life, God says, reaffirms all that he told grandfather Abraham, and he says, it's for you, and in your seed all nations will be blessed. The Messiah of the world, the King of the Jews and the King of Kings is coming through you. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. It's amazing grace. And then he said, I'm with you, verse 15, wherever you go. I'm going to keep you. I'm going to bring you back to this land, and I'm not going to leave you. It's kind of like the Great Commission, right? Jesus said, well, I'm with you always till the end of the age. I'm with you. I've got you on this. You and me, we're going to do business together for a couple decades in Syria. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to do some stuff. We're going, to, we're going to work through some stuff, and then I'll bring you back here. Jacob's like, wow, this is the Lord. It's the gateway to heaven, right? Because he's transcending dimensions. He saw eternity. It's the gateway to heaven. He saw it. It's like when the chariot of fire came for Elijah. He Saw it, caught it, and went up. It's like when Jesus was transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, Andrew, and James, they saw it. They saw the dimension open, and he saw eternity. And then he says, I'll give you a tenth when I come back. 
Isn't that kind of funny? Like, this is the last closing thought. I'll give you a tenth. But at first you think, like, really? Like, you just saw the the God of the universe just promised you everything. Like, uh, if you feed me and you clothe me and keep me safe and bring me back, uh, I'm going to give you a tithe. How's that sound? Like, really? Like, like, this is all about the tithe. Is that what you think? That would be your first thought. But I'm going to suggest something else that's a bit more important and a bit more encouraging as we seal this text. Father Abraham gave a tithe, right? Remember who Father Abraham gave the tithe to? Yeah, Melchizedek. Father Abraham gave a tithe to Melchizedek. He's speaking what he knows of the faith in his household concerning God. I'll give a tithe. He would have known that Grandfather Abraham gave a tithe to Melchizedek. So he's... He's speaking. It's kind of like when uh, Apollo showed up, he's saying all this stuff, and, and they pull him aside. Aquila and Priscilla like, you know, you don't quite have the whole story yet. And they gave him the whole story. Like some people, they speak what they know. If they're raised Catholic, they might just know this. Hail Mary, full of grace. They speak what they know. Some people with religious backgrounds, and they have a, a, an element of faith, a fragment of faith, an element of truth, but they're missing components. They might speak what they know. This is what I know. This is what I learned in catechism. This is what I know. This is what I learned in the Methodist Church at VBS. But God meets them right there. So I'm going to suggest to all of us tonight, in closing, that this is Jacob speaking what he knows about the faith he's received from his family, and he's speaking his faith. Yeah, he wants the birthright. Yes, he wants the blessings. And by the way, I'll give you a tithe. How's it sound? He's speaking what he knows. Should encourage us. Should encourage us. Jacob should encourage us in grace and encourage us in hope for other people that we love and care about that maybe aren't walking with the Lord and live in lives of deception. You just don't know what's in their heart, and you just don't know what God will do to meet them where they're at, to bring them where they need to be. Amen?